Amen. Um, well, thanks. I thank Tanner for the introduction this morning. We're so thankful for the music and the worship. Uh, what a privilege. It's good to see you guys today. Y'all looking well, and uh, we want to welcome you to Connect Church this morning. We're so thankful that you guys are part of that, watching online, and uh, may look a little different this morning. My name is Terry Pierce, and I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here. Uh, we're going to do this a little bit differently this morning, uh, is in combination with the uh, negotiations between uh, myself and the deacon board and Berlin. And uh, what we've settled down to an agreement with this morning is that I still get to preach, but uh, I have to sit down and had a little uh, minor heart procedure that didn't go as planned and wound up being under the operating table for twice as long as they had planned and had to do more um, uh, things there than what they had investigated. And anyway, uh, so I'm um, recovering from that and uh, we're, we're getting over that and next Sunday I'll hopefully be back to normal and running around and doing what I normally do, but uh, I've agreed to try to tone it down. I feel like a celebrity preacher though. Man, I, I can't go out and greet and do all the stuff in between services and I, I, I hate being a celebrity preacher. Just walking out uh, of the back and not getting to, to, to talk to you all because it's about you and so uh, that sort of really sucks. But anyway, we're going to do what we can today and get through this and we're glad that you guys here did have a funny line. Uh, the um, chairman of our deacon board uh, when we made the negotiations to let me preach and, and do this this morning is he... Uh, uh, I told him, I said, all right, I'll cut it down. I'll do only a, you know, 25, 30 minute sermon. And uh, he said, I said, the sermon was really long to begin with anyway. And uh, he said, that's the first time I've ever heard a preacher admit a sermon was long. So, uh, you know, maybe that goes along with it. Speaking of funny humor, uh, did you guys hear the joke about peanut butter? I'm not going to tell you because you guys will spread it. Well, one thing surgery didn't improve was my jokes, apparently, but anyway, uh, so uh, let's, let's get into the sermon this morning. That's why you guys are here. You don't want to know about my stuff. Uh, you want to know about the Word of God, so let's do that this morning. What I've got in front of you today um, is a uh, glass of water, <laughs> so in case you didn't know. Uh, now, when you look in, you take a glass of water and you put a spoon in. The spoon is a normal spoon, came from our house, nice and clean from Blend, and you put it into the water. If you'll look at it and you could see, maybe the camera could focus in on closer, it looks like it's bent. It looks like the spoon is bent, but boom. Okay, uh, and so it's really not bent. It's straight as an arrow, and we call this process refraction, and refraction is a scientific term that tells us that it's a distorted view. Uh, what happens is, is the light comes in, and the way it hits the water and the glass, it distorts the view, and this makes the spoon appear as it is bent. But the truth of the matter is, that's a lie. This very same thing is happening in your life every day. The very same thing is happening in your life every day. You all are listening to the news. You are in a culture and a generation that is telling you what truth is, is in your life, how you should feel, what to do with COVID, what is important and not important in your life. And I want to argue and make the contention this morning that it is a refracted view of reality. It has distorted the truth. And the truth is still the same. The truth is God is still alive. None of that is bent. None of that is going away. None of that has changed whatsoever. And yet we find ourselves 
looking at faith as broken. If you are watching the news and you are part of this society and culture today, if you were to go by what the media and everybody else is telling you and your friends and culture and especially in the academic institutions of higher learning, what your professors are telling you, faith is broken. Faith is broken. It's not real and not valid. And I want to make an argument today that that is a big-time refracted view. And you know what we need more than ever than we've ever needed before is we need to know how to deal with this culture of refraction. And what we do to get that is we need a bigger faith. God needs to grow our faith. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews eleven six, and we're going to talk to you about the fact that God is the one that grows our faith. God is the one that grows our faith. A, a husband was, um, had won a business trip, and he was asked his wife, he said, listen, I, I got this company, he's in a little small town, and he said, we're going to, I got a free uh, trip, and they've agreed to fly both of us. Uh, and I want to invite you to join me, and this will be a nice little getaway, have a date night, you know, overnight. And she said, sure, that sounds exciting. And then he began to tell her about the plane, and she said, well, what kind of plane is it? And she said, well, it's a Cessna twin-engine plane. And she goes, oh, flip no. I ain't getting on some little puddle jumper. And he looked at her, and, you know, as we husbands do, we say stuff before we think. And he looked at her, and he says, where's your faith? where's your faith? And she goes, not in that little twin engine plane. And so he got the message, as a few of us husbands figure out, and he listened to her and he went and booked her a, a ticket on a commercial airline. And so they went ahead and did the business trip, but they flew on a big jet and all that. And he couldn't help himself because he was a husband. Go ahead and shake your heads, ladies. You know, we just continue. We don't let it go. And so he looked at her when they got on the plane and he goes, well, I notice that you're riding on this plane now, uh, and she looked at him, and she had a ready answer. She goes, my faith is in proportion to the size of the plane. As the plane got bigger, my faith got bigger, and so now we're on the trip. Do you have anything else to say? And he was like, no, ma'am, I'm done. Uh, and so the truth of the matter is, is that's what I want to talk to you about today. <clears throat> the devil has been lying to us, and the devil has been giving you and I, in our culture, in our media, in our news reports, a refracted view of faith, church, and Christianity. And what we need to understand, your faith grows as you put your faith in a bigger God. The bigger God is in your life, and God is big, the more you're going to believe in the impossible because you know that God can do it. Here's a statement that I want to give to you. It's not in our notes, but I, uh, this is a, just a cool thought. You put a lot of faith in God, and you will get big results. You put a lot of faith in God and a big God, and you'll get big results. You put a little faith in God, and you will get little results. And that is so true. The reason <clears throat> so many of you are struggling in your personal faith is because you've been refracted in your view of God. The truth of the matter is, I promise you that God wants to hear and answer your prayers. And I know what some of you are going to do. And so this is a caveat to the message. This is an addendum. 
because I know some of you are here today and we've got so many broken people that have been hurt by crud that's been preached and done in churches over the years and we welcome the wounded and brokenhearted to this church. All of us have been there with you. But you need to know this morning, one of the lies in one of the ways that the devil beats us up the most is he says, if you just have enough faith, this is not Joel Osteen crud, okay? This is just telling you, if you have enough faith, then everything's going to work out in your life. And, you know, if I just have enough faith, but then when it doesn't happen in your life, y'all know what you do is we, well, I guess I'm just not a super Christian. I guess I'm just not good enough. And why does God answer some people's prayers, but not mine? And let me explain something to you as an addendum to this message today at the very forefront. Just because you name it and claim it doesn't mean that God's going to give it to you. People have a free will. Some of you have got a lost son, a lost daughter. You've got a lost mom, a lost dad. You've been praying all your life for them to come to Jesus. The truth of the matter is, if, I, if you're really honest, when I tell you stories of how God's redeemed our family and how our sons drifted away but they came back, it honestly, down deep, makes you mad because down deep, your kid hadn't done it yet, and you're like, why, why can't it happen to Brother Terry? It can't happen to me. Because your kid, my kid, my mom, your dad, everybody has a free will. And God is never going to choose to override our free will. He doesn't make people go to heaven. He doesn't make, nobody goes to hell because God made them go to hell. You go to hell because you chose not to believe in God. And so we need to understand that in perspective this morning. But let me know this, and you need to write this down. Those of you with a negative attitude and hope perspective on this thing of faith, is if your kid, your mom and dad, has any hope, any chance whatsoever of going to heaven one day, it is because you have faith and you keep believing and you keep praying and you keep sharing. You with me this morning? So we need a faith in a big God if we're going to pull this off and we understand this in our text. Now, you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, well, what are you talking about? This whole sermon series is called This Is Us. And real quickly, for those of you that have been asleep in the services, Bob, or uh, you've just not been paying attention, or uh, the fact that you've missed our services thus far, let me catch you up to date. We love seekers at our church. Man, I don't know anything about church, dude. I'm just coming because I listen to your podcast, and you are one of the funniest people I've ever met my, or heard of my life. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. Probably not. But anyway, uh, you're here today, and you're saying, I don't know anything about the Bible. Well, let me just catch you up to speed. What we're talking about this month is how God designed the church, what it is, and this is us. This is who we are, and here's what we've defined for you in the preceding sermons. Number one, uh, and first of all, let me just, there's four key things about us as a church that hopefully, not always, but hopefully, theoretically, every conservative evangelical church in America, you would hope that this was what your family and your friends were believing in that church. Number one is that it's about the church is Christ-centered. Everything we do here at Connect Church, this is us, is Christ-centered. No, the cross, that's what drives us, number one. Number two, it is about this book. We don't teach, believe, or practice tradition. Some of you are still trying. But it's not us. This is us. This is the book. This is what we follow here. This is us, un un unashamedly, no questions asked, this this is what we follow at Connect Church. Number three is the fact that it's God-glorifying. We do not put on a show for you. You don't come here to go, oh, Tanner and the music and the band, you know, is so glorious. Uh, we don't come here because Andrew is so funny and uh, what's his willy-nilly guy, what's his guy, uh, Sprinkles? 
Skittles, yeah. Uh, you know, because uh, your kids love sprinkle Skittles, whatever his name is, and any, all that. It's good. I mean, he's doing a fa- fabulous job. But we don't come here because it's, it's the dude. Uh, and, but we come here to glorify God. You don't need me. And you don't need a preacher on a pedestal or even on his bar stool. Uh, we can't say bar stool because we're a church, so stool. Anyway, sorry. But anyway, uh, we have, uh, we, we, we're here to glorify God in everything that we do. He is high, holy, and lifted up. Number four, and I think this is what separates most evangelical churches. This is the difference between dying and growing churches. You're going to hear a great story. Don't go to sleep on me this morning. You've got to hear the ending of this. This is unbelievable what God is doing. But here's the difference between dying and growing churches is your Holy, we're Holy Spirit-led. In other words, we no longer vote on the direction of saving our church institution. We believe in leadership. We believe that our leaders need to fast and pray, our deacons and our staff, and they need to seek God's direction. And when the Spirit leads them, we're willing to say, if that's what God wants to do in this church, then that's where we're going to go. As a matter of fact, today is going to be a real prime example of that. In the negotiations with the deacons in Berlin about me preaching today, like we said, uh, I'm supposed to be, this sermon is supposed to be about 50, 55 minutes, and I'm supposed to preach half of it today. So next Sunday, here's how the Holy Spirit leads this. I'm totally out of my element. I am wigged out. I am uncomfortable. I've got to chop this sermon up. I'm going to give you the first point, come back and preach on it next week, and then I'm going to hit number two today. I hate doing all of this, but you know what the Holy Spirit says? Uh, Listen, uh, I'm in charge of this, and this is the way we're going to do it. So we're going to push the Forever Family series back one week. We're still going to do it. We're just going to push it back one week. And this is so cool about God. You know what? We're going to get it done. We're going to do it his way. And you're going to be the beneficiaries of it. And so this morning, we're going to talk to you about how God grows his church. We're going to do a little more churchy type stuff today. You're going to hear the story of how God has given us a, a church, our church, a dream. But next week, oh, you don't want to miss next week because it's in here. I just can't preach on it. Uh, but, but we're going to talk to you about how God wants to grow your faith in your house, at your school, in your marriage, and in your life, in your retirement years. God is still in the business of growing your personal faith, and I'm going to be all over it, and we're going to dig down into it next week. But, so here we're today, and we're talking to you guys about uh, how do we grow our faith. And so here's where we're at this morning in understanding that uh, our best days are before us, not behind us. And so in this modern world, let me come back and center this now. In our modern world, here's where we're at this morning, talking about God growing our faith. In our modern world, we're driven by senses. You understand, millennials, especially in Gen Zs that are up on the front row, you guys look awesome though today. Well, you know, as much as you boys can. But anyway, uh, thank you guys for being up here. Awesome. Uh, uh, Andrew had a great time with the team boys yesterday. It looked like a really great program. But anyway, uh, we're glad that, uh, but, but one of the things you need to know about the younger generation, about media and everything else, is here's where we're at today in our country. And I'm telling you, it's killing us. It's all about what I feel. We are taught in our modern world, we depend upon our senses. We are dominated, not by logical thought, 
But what, and this is what's taught when your kids get into higher education. Y'all parents can debate about, you know, whether we send a kid to Christian school or not. I'm telling you, Belinda, I made the decision. The biggest challenge is when your kids get to secondary education. Because the professors at public university, including Ole Miss and Mississippi State, they're predominantly going to be telling you that the world is not about faith. The world is about a bigger worldview of how you feel, what makes you happy. And, and that filters into every element of our society and it filters into COVID. It filters into everything, trust me. But yet, there's a guy that I go back to, and he's an old school preacher. His name is A.W. Tozer. Anything you can get your hands on reading about A.W. Tozer, he's a classic old preacher, and he wrote a book called The Root of Righteousness. And now here's what he says to counter the refracted view of reality today, and this is what it means to have a view of God. And here's what he says. You're not going to have time to write it all down, so take a pick. Feel, this is what it means to have faith in God. You feel supreme love for one whom he has never seen. You talk familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, this is us. This is what it is to have faith in God. And he wants to grow this faith. Now here's the biblical platform that we're launching these next two sermons off of. Hebrews 11:6. This is our main text. We're going to dig deeper into it next week, but let me give you the outliners of it. And without faith, look with me now, Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. I want you to stop and underline that in your Bible this morning. Does that not just strike you? It is impossible for you to please God without faith. Let that settle in. That is an ominous statement. For whoever would draw near to God, what's the opposite? Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Oh, and this is the money part. This is where we're going to get to you for next week. And he rewards those who seek him. So when you think of the subject of faith, perseverance in the faith, what does it mean, excuse me, what does it mean to really be able to follow God? You know what we think of, don't you? You think of superheroes. Now, I know a lot of you guys are um, uh, seekers and you're not used to the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 11, and I don't have time to get into it this morning because Tan will make fun of the clock and all that stuff, so I ignore him. Uh, but, but here's the thing, is we think of Hebrews 11, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, it has a long list. And you know who the people's names are listed in there, or th- those of you that are used to church. There's Abraham, and even those of you that aren't used to church, you've heard of Moses, Abraham, you know, all of these great heroes, David, they're all listed in there. And we think a people of great faith. You know how y'all do. It's got to be somebody that is a super Christian in the church. These heroes that have always been at Tupelo Free Will Connect Church, and they've been these super saints, and you just think, I could never be like them. They are the spiritual avengers of our church, and I could never be like them. Sort of like this. I haven't decided whether I like Jared with the long hair Thor he looks like a band guy there. But my favorite, really, do you, do you not recognize who the Incredible Hulk This is perfect. That is 
our chairman of our deacon board, an angry deacon. Yes, leading the charge. I love that. And so uh, that so fits David. Anyway, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, I, I love that. So Madden Green. Anyway, uh, but he, we sort of think of that. All right, take that down, Rhonda. Thank you. Uh, here's what I want you guys to understand this morning. Do, do we not do this, that we think about remarkable saints like, you know, of, of old, and Peter, and Augustine, Aquinas, Luther, Calvin, Wesley, uh, D.L. Moody, and if you're all's generation, Billy Graham, and we think about these superheroes of the faith, but that's not who all is included in Hebrews 11. Next Sunday, I'm going to tell you about three people, and we're going to dig into the, to their lives. They're ordinary people in Hebrews 11 that had heroic faith. Ordinary people that suited up and go to work just like you, raise families. You're going to hear next Sunday in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, about a shepherd, about a preacher, and about a builder. And we're going to unpack their testimonies because this is what the writer of Hebrews does. He defines faith for us, and here's how he defines it, and then he tells us how it works in our hearts and lives. Well, hang on, we're going to get to that in just a second. So here's the first part of what I want to share with you this morning. Principle number one, how does God grow our faith? That should be the question you're asking after the introduction of this message today. How does God grow my faith? Here's the answer to that question. God grows my faith by knowing his word. Principle number one in your notes. Now, where's Grace at? All right, next week, Grace, uh, she gets ink all over her hands because she tries to keep up with me. I don't know. She's, you know, she's got to write faster. Anyway, um, they don't teach them how to write cursive in school anymore. So here's the thing. Uh, what you need to know, we're going to give you three points next week, Grace, but you don't get them today, huh? Uh, and, and so we're just going to give you, and it's going to be three subpoints under this, so I'm not going to talk about this principle, although I want to. It is killing me not to do point number one. Uh, God grows my faith by knowing his word. So let me give you this as the outliner for next week and a little bit of introduction, and I can't say this strongly enough, guys. Here's what you guys have got to get down. I'm going to say this until I fall over, which may happen this morning. But you guys have got to get into the Word of God. We, you, I know you guys get sick of it, and you guys are right now, you're starting to like, you know, we are tired of you yelling at us about here journals. I'm never going to stop, so get used to it. If this is not getting across to you, because you cannot grow your faith without the Word of God. Let me say that again. Until you know who he is and you cannot get a, enough on Sunday morning to understand who God is, this is how simple it is. You go to our guest services desk as you leave today. And by the way, don't do what Tanner said and drop the card in the offering box. It's not, you put it, take it to guest services. Anyway, and so take the card and you get your um, here journal. And we're going to read together as a church family through the New Testament in two years. And you say, well, I don't know where we're at. Tomorrow's February 1st. Start off a new month. It takes 10 minutes. It takes 10 minutes. We're giving you an easy plan. Get into the Word of God. Allow God to reveal to you who He is. And listen, do not come whining and griping to me. Because I promise you, you know what happens to many of us? is you guys will come and eventually go, you know, I'm just not growing in the faith. I'm just not in a good place spiritually where I need to be at. And let me explain something to you. 
I can put on, we can put all together the greatest music and the greatest preaching and we can have our church rocking and rolling in the spirit and it's not going to do you a, a dime's worth of good until you personally develop a relationship where God is speaking into your situation. You can't get God from me. That's why I don't run around as the pastor that comes around and wipes your nose and does everything for you like the old school stuff used to do. Because you need God. You don't need me. You need God helping you be a better wife, be a better mom, be a better dad, be a better husband. We need God. And we only learn that by getting into his word. And here's what you're going to learn in his word. This is the definition of faith. Verse 1. Now faith is his assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old, he's going to tell you about those in a minute, receive their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen is not made out of things visible. Next Sunday, you ready young people? I'm going to tell you the difference between what you're taught at school about the faith of evolution versus the faith of intelligent design and I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you next week but here's what he's simply saying in the text today and that's all I got time for this morning faith is confidence in God that's money write that down this is why you need to do a here journal faith is confidence in God look at me real quick this is gonna be next week's time you every day are having your view of God refracted. Every day when you go to school, when you go to work, when you listen to the media, all day long, they're telling you God doesn't exist in subtle ways. And you hear it and you hear it. The only way your faith is going to grow is you need to take 10 minutes. That's, are you, are you, are you, listen to me. 10 minutes Put down your John Brown's stupid phone. Look how many social media minutes you have. How many video game minutes are you playing? Ten minutes to pull out of the refracted world and just let God pour into you. I promise you it'll change your attitude, your perspective, and it will grow your faith that God can change my circumstances next week we're going to drill down onto that but today we're going to go to point number two and here's what I want to talk to you about as we wrap all this up God grows my faith through circumstances that test me oh this is money God grows my faith through circumstances that test me and we're going to hit on this a little bit deeper again next week as well but this is where I want to land at this morning it may be actually even more important that you understand this principle than the first one. And you want to know why? You hear me this morning? If you spend 10 minutes a day with the Word of God, which will be improvement for most of you, if you spend 10 minutes of Word of the day, do you realize that you spend 24 hours a day with God testing your faith? Wow. So this is a big, this is a big one. You, 24 hours a day, God is testing your faith in mine. So what does it take for God, for me to pass this faith test? How do I learn to overcome, I don't know if that's my time or not, but anyway, uh, how do I learn uh, to overcome that God is testing my faith, uh, thanks Mark, and, uh, and he wants to grow my faith? 
And here's the reason you're going to go through this experience in your life. Because God wants to stretch your faith. Now, now this is important. If you're working out and you're exercising, what's the whole concept of lifting weights and doing all that? So, how do you get that buff body donut? <laughs> uh, that, uh, so, anyway, uh, so what are you laughing at, Ethan? So, uh, so how, how do you grow these, uh, you know, these young muscular guys, whatever? Uh, how do they grow their muscles? You have to stretch your muscle. You do that by lifting weights. The more resistance that you have, the more your muscle is going to grow. So are you getting this? God is testing your faith every day of your life. How does he grow your faith? He doesn't give you what you want. You don't get to have all your dreams come true the way you want them. You don't get to be in control. God says, no, I'm going to show you my way. Every day, you're challenged to turn it over to him. He is stretching your faith so you learn to put your trust in him and not in you. You get stronger physically by putting more weight in resistance, and you do more reps. If you're like me, I do 45 reps. <laughs> That's another story for another time. You don't even want to know that one. God grows our faith by the fact that he tests us, and he's wanting to strengthen our faith. So let me be real practical this morning as we wind all this down. And um, let me just tell you. You need to, and we're living in a generation which I'm not going to share my personal feelings because I'd offend some of you. But we're living in a generation where everybody is just so flippant sensitive about everything. And honestly, we're soft. And that's all I'm going to say because I'm going to make everybody mad. But when you're raising your kids today, and I get it, parents are freaking out over everything, and COVID has so exasperated that. And I understand your fears. But again, there's a whole lot of refraction in this. I mean, I grew up drinking water out of a water hose. And I didn't die. And some of you have to have filtered water for your baby to even, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and I'm just saying, there's a lot of stuff going on that we over, and I get while, you know, your parents and you guys are and all that. You know what you need to do is you need to trust God to raise your kids. And here's my big challenge to you this morning. I'll just leave it there and I'll try to say spiritual because if I get personal, you're not going to like what I have to say. The kids are not your kids. You know what Belinda and I learned early on? We had three boys, and we loved our three boys. But we made a huge mistake, as many of you are doing this morning, is you're thinking, it's my job to protect them. My job is to raise them and to save them. No, it's not. God gave you those kids, and he can take them away. You don't like hearing that. You know what? We loved our kids, but we gave them back to God. We ask him to help us raise them. We ask him what schools we should go to. We trusted God to keep our kids safe. We ask God to help us have wisdom and discernment about our kids. And you know what? By the time they get to teenagers, you're going to get through some of this and over some of this. I didn't even like my kids. And I'm just telling you, you need to get past this thing that it's your job and calling in life. You need to get your kids involved in children's church and nursery. 
You need to quit freaking out and thinking that, oh, they might catch something or whatever. I promise you, they're going to catch up a lot of weird stuff if you don't get them back. And so the socialization of understanding, our church is safe. Get your kids involved in children's church and nursery. And number two is you need to let your teenager go on Wednesday nights. They need to be having the word of God poured into them. Your kid needs to go to church camp. Well, what if I go to church camp and, when, and my kid goes on a mission trip and I can't protect them? You can't protect them anyway. Your kid is out there in the real world and what they need to learn how to do is go out into the real world, come home, tell you about the dangers out there, and you teach them as they're growing up what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, and that's how you raise kids that are ready to be adults. You give your kids back to God, and you're sending them out to make a difference in the world. So God's going to test your faith, and he's going to stretch it in your personal life. And now here's how he does it. And I'm going to give you three points this morning. Rhonda, can we put them up real quickly? Let's do it this. We're going to do a little bit differently because I, I, I got to go. God tests and grows your faith through dreams. This is God tests and grows your faith through dreams. This is what we're going to hit on as I wrap this up this morning. And this is where I want to focus on. We're going to talk to you about dreaming. But next week, we're going to show you, and I'm not going to have time to give it to you today, but God tests and grows your faith through delays. God tests and grows your faith through delays. And I'm going to get there next week, so don't worry about it, Grace. Chill out. And God tests and grows your faith through difficulties. And you're going to hear all three of these this morning in my final story as we go through this today. And I want to, I want to give you an illustration of the church because I want to help you in your personal life. And I think if I can do that through the church, then I can help you how to, and we're going to teach you how to apply this to your personal story next week. Um, in 2001, God had took me to a place where I was frustrated with ministry and pastoring people like you. <laughs> I've been pastoring for 13 years in the state of Georgia, and... I had come to the conclusion that it just wasn't working. We were growing, but minimally, and people were still not getting it. And I just decided, you know what? My life's too short to waste my time on dying churches. I'm not the guy that just takes the paycheck and goes home. I'm not that guy. I wouldn't be here this morning if I was that guy. I believe it's all about the gospel. And in 2001, I had to come to meeting with Jesus, and I said, I, 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 I'm out. If we don't, you got to show me. And God began to show me that America had made the church an institution and not a church family. Go back to the last two weeks. I, what I'm preaching to you now, I didn't know then. I was part of the propagating. And what I'm talking about, you go back and listen to the last two weeks. I don't have time to cover it. But the church as an institution is this. And this is how some of y'all still think, and it's the way we, I was raised, and I'm still getting over it because I still have those institutional days in my life because it's just the way I'm in, James. It's too much in my DNA. But the church as an institution means that our job as the church is to save the church. We've got to protect it from the world, and we've got to save it, and we've got to put our finances in it, and it's up to us to protect the church. And that's really a stupid American lie. American government is an institution. 
Our military is an institution. The police force is an institution. Those are noble institutions that we should support and that we should take care of and that we should be proud of. The church is not one of them. Church is a family. And I'm going to help dig and unpack that a little bit more. But what I mean by a church is a family, that means you come to the realization that a church is not perfect. It is not run by certain people that have money. It does not need you and I to protect it, to survive. The church is a family that has weird, messed up people in it. It has people that have been saved and forgiven that continue to screw up and still frustrate you and still make you mad, and yet you learn how not to always like them but love them anyway, and you have your family working together accomplishing the goals of God that is far different than an institution that we have to save. So now I come to that place in 2001 where I don't know all this, but I'm trying to uh, flesh it out and what it looks like. So I announced on my first Sunday here to try out for the pastor of this church. I don't want to be in Mississippi, no disrespect at the time. I plan to die here now, uh, but at the time, I'm leaving Georgia, and I hate to tell you, but Mississippi doesn't rank in the top five states to move to, and so don't tell them it's a great place, uh, but, you know, uh, we don't want them. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, we're good, but, but anyway, I'm just kidding, sort of, but, uh, but in those days, you know, you just didn't plan to move to Mississippi. My wife was totally against it. Our three sons were against it, and I get announced in the sermon tryout, and I just tell the church in my sermon tryout, out. The final statement that I make when I get done preaching, few of you will remember that 19 years ago, is I looked at the congregation and I said, if you don't want to grow and this church is not going to be about reaching people in this community, then vote no against me. And I walked off the John Brown stage, Ernie. Told him vote against me. I didn't care because I didn't really want to come here anyway. <laughs> and they were not thinking well and they voted in that preacher from Georgia and you know and Belen and I came and it's been an incredible challenging journey ever since and I'm so thankful that you guys were smarter than me and you allowed me to but as we come in here guess I had a dream and this is what I'm talking about is that first point the dream do you have dreams for your family and your life and all those things what I'm trying to illustrate to you is your dreams don't always pan out like you think they will and so I'm in my first four years of living the dream of pastoring this church that we're going to go do evangelism and we're going to change church and we're going to get this thing right. And we're gonna, even though I don't know what I'm doing, Cheryl, but I'm just, uh, we got to do something different than the way we've been doing, do, been doing traditional church for the last 13 years. God, you've got to make this thing happen. And do you know what happened in my first four years? I did over 50 funerals. I was killing it. And, uh, and so when we came to the church here, our church was half a million dollars in debt. They told me that we had enough money. We had just built that campus, but we had not paid down hardly anything on it. We literally bought our very first computer when I came here in 2001, and we had to borrow and beg Jesus, and you guys had to take a special offering to buy a flipping computer. We were that far in debt and messed up. And, uh, and the church was down somewhat in attendance, and, and so um, you know, I was like, well, we gotta change this, and God's gonna do this. This is my dream. This is my dream. We're gonna have a real church. Church. It was a growing church. I told them that on the first Sunday. They voted for that. And now, after four years, we're actually further down. I've done over 50 funerals. Now, this is the part you've all heard that part of the story. You notice what I'm saying here? Four years later, my dream hasn't come to fruition. What I'm going to talk to you about next Sunday, and I'm going to give you a little taste of it today, 
is y'all quit on your dreams. You are so enamored with the shiny that you guys quit and you don't wait for God to give you your dreams. You've got to learn to stay focused on the dream and work it and allow God time to do it his way. He is testing your dreams and you keep quitting on them. Stick to it. Stick to it. So I did. Here's how the funerals would go. And this, this one, this was one that tore me up that I almost quit on. I would preach those 50 funerals plus. And here's the part I've never said publicly. Is that um, great people, some of the most outstanding salt of the earth people, little old ladies and old men that grew up in this church all their life. I mean, incredible people. And do you know that almost none of their kids were in this church and stayed in this church? I mean, I'm talking about less than 5% of all these great people, none of their kids, when they left and they got 18, stayed in this church, and they had very unpleasant things in many cases to say about their church experience here. Matter of fact, in those first four years, the guys at First Baptist, Harrisburg, First Methodist, all the pastors came in town and said, oh, you're the new guy that's wheeled in for a little while at Tupelo Freewell. They run through him, and I'm like, you know, I'm already getting irritated. And then they look at me, and every single one of them said, we want to thank you. We love Tupelo Freewell. And I go, what does that mean? And they said, because our churches have had so many members come from Tupelo Freewell that got mad and upset in the fighting and the other stuff, and they've helped build our churches, and we love your church because you send us some of our best people. I wanted to throat punch them. This is my dream. I want to build a healthy, growing church, James, and the preachers in town are mocking me. The kids that grew up in this church are like, you ain't going to ever get that done there. And I'm like, I'm ready to quit. But I didn't. Because my dream is not built on what I feel. My dream is not built on the refraction of what I was hearing and people telling me God had a purpose and a dream for this church. God was fixing to do something that I could never imagine. God just needed me to be faithful to believe in a dream and to believe in a big God. And so I just kept drilling away, and we kept doing that, and eventually we would begin to turn the tide. And you know where we're at today? We now, Chris, have doubled the size of the congregation of this church. We paid off that half a million dollar debt. We have tripled. We used to take in $3,000 a year. We're now bumping 11000 plus a year. We have more than tripled where we were at financially. God is a bigger God than you can ever imagine. You need to begin to believe in God. You need to stick with it when it's not all easy. And I'm telling you, we began that discipleship model about 10 years ago and made and tracked it down. It's messy. It's hard work. And I'm telling you, it's still not perfect. And we're not even close to being where we need to be, but I'm telling you, I would never be able to be here today if I had given up on the dream and quit believing in a big God. He wants to do that in your heart and in your life. Now, here's the really mind-blowing part of this. I went to our deacons and to our staff about eight years ago, and we have a three to five year goal that we come up with. Tanner loves goals. <laughs> and uh, we had a three to five year projection of where we wanted to be at. 
And I began to tell the deacons and the staff, I believe that God is calling us to be a church planning church. We're going to go start new churches. And the deacons looked at me, Wayne, and they go, dude, is your cheese off your cracker? Do you realize where you're at? You're in a place where we are just in the process of building a new campus. We have a $2 million debt. We've already paid a million of it down, uh, but we've still got $2 million to pay off on this. Preacher, we can't afford to go hire pastors and plant churches. And I go, I know, but I'm telling you, God's got a dream. We're going to eventually get to where we can start being a church that is going to multiply what God's done here and help other churches because if anything will save America is we need to have what God's doing here. You're not going to change it by the White House. You will change it when God's house goes into this country. And I am so thrilled to tell you today that that day has now come and we're announcing it publicly for the very first time that we are in the process of launching and, and revitalizing another church. The deacons have approved this and so with the board and staff's approval this morning, I want you to look, this is the Pearl Church and uh, they signed a contract with us last month and the Pearl Church in Jackson, Mississippi area is uh, their pastor, Pastor Aaron and his wife. Um, and, and here's what's been happening. For the last four weeks, I've been meeting on Zoom and I've been coaching Pastor Aaron about how to grow your church. Their church is one of the churches just like we've been talking about all through America, down to less than 40 people uh, in a large city, and they want to know how do we revitalize this church? How do we take a church that was struggling in debt and financial needs? And I go, I know, I've been there because I had a dream to watch a church turn around and become healthy and alive. And so what we believe that God is now launching us into, this is the dream. God will change your dream. What you think is your dream, God wants to do it better. What I thought we had to do is start new churches, but that took so much more money. Listen to this. This is so much better. I don't, we're not paying a dime for this. They've already got the building. They've already got people. They've already got the pastor. All I'm going to be doing is taking one year to invest once a month to go down there. We're going to survey them. I'm going to preach to them next month, and we're going to survey them, find out what do they need most. Discipleship. Belen's going to go with me. She's going to pour into their pastor's wife. I'm going to be uh, coaching him throughout the year. And then what we're going to do is we're going to launch them. And then the next year, we're going to take another church. Instead of waiting five years to do a church plan and pay for a missionary in the new building, we're going to have five churches that we've revitalized by the, within five years. And we're going to watch God multiply that over and over again. I'm telling you, when I had a dream, I, I got a privilege of, of being called to, to do a conference and teach discipleship. I'm going to Florida later this year. And, this, and the pastor's are saying we want you to come in and teach the whole state association what God is doing at Connect Church and they say would you be willing to come to Orlando for a weekend would you be willing to come to Fort Walton Beach for a weekend I said let me pray about it okay I'm done yeah I'm in on those two uh, and so anyway I'm just telling you God is so growing our ministry way beyond I ever dreamed and God wants to do it in your heart and he wants to do it in your life are you guys ready to have a big faith in a big God and watch what he can do. Will you stand with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for you speaking into our lives. And God, today we just come before you and we need you as our Savior. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, would you invite him to come and save you today? 
Would you invite him to come in and, and, and change your heart and your life? Would you begin to dream the dreams that God wants you to have? Isn't it exciting when we have a big faith and a big God? What he can do. As Tanner sings a verse of invitation, and you need to come, would you come? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.